What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I mean, just when you think, you know, you launch your business, you're seeing the growth, you're seeing the traction, it's all very exciting. And then you wake up one day and the president of the United States is talking about your industry and it was in crisis. You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Legorio Chafkin. Today's episode, A Crisis During Fast Growth. My guest today, Laura Modi, had been director of hospitality at Airbnb when she encountered a huge frustration at home. She couldn't find an American-made, FDA-approved baby formula that she felt really good about feeding her own baby. Why were all the organic formulas, the ones with out unpronounceable ingredients made in Europe. She set out to create her own and called it Bobby. But just days into selling her first products, the FDA knocked on her door and shut it down. And that was just the first crisis that would hit her fast-growing company. But Laura had done something smart from the outset by designing the company in a really unique way that helps its employees with benefits designed specifically for them. And that landed the company on this year's Inc.'s Best Workplaces list. But back to the crisis. I'll let Laura explain how it all got started. I was the director of hospitality at Airbnb, which is essentially host operations, community operations. And I (laughs) loved my job. I loved my career. And I had my first kid. And I went into motherhood just assuming I would breastfeed, assuming it would be beautiful and easy. And I'm standing in the middle of a pharmacy buying a product that just left me riddled with disappointment and the experience was miserable. There must be a better way to feed babies. Mm. And I mean, while that was the inspiration, the motivation was me being a crazy researcher mom, as you do. (laughs) So many of us are. You strive to be successful, type A, you dig into things. And I turned my research of formula into what was essentially a mini thesis to study the marketplace and understand it to find the industry hasn't changed in the guts of 40 years. The last time nutritional standards were meaningfully updated, I was a baby. That's crazy. Yeah. And it was so stigmatized. And that was the impetus to say, you know what? why don't I just leave my career, which I love, and go do something about this? Yeah, it's still a wild step to take, especially when you have a baby. Had you gone to business school? That was my original degree. So you knew when when an idea might be a good one, right? Um, Sort of. I think it just hits you. Mm. And I, I do believe that it's a combination of two things. One, you go through it personally. You go through a visceral problem where you go, This needs to be better. You couple that with your determination or your confidence to say, I have the experience to actually do something about this. So if you can couple the personal problem with the experience, I believe it will hit you pretty hard that you must go do something. Right. And yet, you know, when I was formula feeding uh, my baby, I found myself buying these German formulas and importing them. And at one point, my husband was like... 
So you found an organic formula, but aren't you buying that on the black market? And do you feel like you should really be buying black market formula? There's a reason these things are regulated. And I said, well, what's a European regulation versus a U.S. one? And I would say, in your shoes, I would say, oh, my gosh, well, there's the FDA. They're never going to go for this. What got you past that hurdle of saying, we need regulatory approval for our formula? You know, it's a combination of naivety of like, you know, I know you need it. But, you know, I also, I came from Airbnb, yeah. which was also a very regulated space that we were disrupting. Now, maybe that naivety moving into formula, I wasn't quite prepared for just how regulated it was. Mm. And your experience of turning to a black market, I heard all around me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there was a black market this is insane. We should have high-quality infant formula that is here and approved in the U.S. that we feel good about. We shouldn't have to turn to another country. So I only discovered the regulatory hurdles the more I got into it. Right, right. Why don't you tell me that story? You um, you had a sort of a, a really interesting launch and kind of soft launch strategy. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you tell me. I love that you're calling it a soft launch. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, and what we call now the chapter in our book, the heroin journey. <laughs> it really was. Mm-hmm. We were trying to make our product here in the U.S., And what you have now, everyone has come to discover because of the national formula shortage, everyone knows about the challenges of making infant formula in this country. Mm -hmm. Well, I had experienced that years before. I couldn't get it made in the U.S. So I went to Germany, as you just mentioned, the birthplace of high-quality infant formula. Yes. And I made our first product there. But the challenge was that the regulations in Europe and in the U.S. were different. Mm -hmm. So I needed to launch our product essentially under a new category. And I thought this was very disruptive and unique. The FDA, however, didn't. Interesting. What happened? So 10 days into launching our beta, only in San Francisco, we get a call from our warehouse manager. And that warehouse manager tells us that the FDA is there. Oh, my gosh. My heart sank. I mean, truly sank. I'm wondering, oh, what's happening like, why would they be here? Why would they have to even pay us attention 10 days in? I think we'd made $4,700 or something. I mean, a sad number, really. <laughs> this wasn't, there was no reports, nothing. Mm. And we show up and there was uniformed officials who essentially said, we get what you did. You know, they acknowledged the creativeness to bring a European product into the market, but it didn't meet the regulations here. So they shut us down. Yeah, because you were you were um, labeling it as um, as a toddler, toddler formula, formula, as a food product rather than an infant formula. Correct. And thinking this is a great first step, you know, sure. one foot into the market, we'll get the brand out there, and what every investor likes to call traction. I kept, I kept hearing it. We need yeah. traction. I was like, how, how am I meant to get traction when I can't even get the product made here? Right, right. So where did you go from there, from just absolutely having your doors shut and your production line halted? Well, there was probably about two weeks of what I would call the identity crisis. Mm. <laughs> that identity crisis was hearing from investors saying, you know what, just make baby food, ignore formula, it's too hard. All the way to people like Cindy Eckert who was saying no. You know what you're doing is great and the intention is there. Go build a redemption with the FDA. Show them what it takes. Show them that hustle, that fire, and get their help. And that identity crisis, you know, it was a challenging one. 
But we essentially got to the place where we found the support, we found the funding, and there was a manufacturer here in the U.S. that said, I will make your infant formula. That was a huge turning point. Wow. So did you have to get into the FDA's good graces by following their rules or by getting them to change theirs? Or some combination yeah. therein? I would say it was us really getting to follow their rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And here's the one thing I've come to learn. When you are entering an industry that you're not from, remember, you're entering their industry. So you need to be, in many ways, given permission, and you need to prove yourself in someone else's industry before you have an opportunity to come in and really change it. Mm. And I feel like we are just getting to the point. And when we talk a little bit about the formula shortage and lobbying and policy, we are just at that point as a business where we actually have a voice and permission to say, now let's change it. You got the approval. You became the first formula brand to launch in six years yes. in the U.S. Is that right? And then became the fastest growing one since, what, the 80s? The 80s. So Bobby was out D2C, selling online. You had a really interesting approach to customers, which was that you uh, rewarded loyalty from day one um, with a subscription. And then the formula shortage oh, hit. The shortage I mean, just when you think, you know, you launch your business, you're seeing the growth, you're seeing the traction, it's all very exciting. And then you wake up one day and the president of the United States is talking about your industry and it was in crisis. Um, and that yours, was no different than anyone else. And in fact, in more of a challenge than others, you were still sort of scaling up. You were still scaling up production, right, at that point? That's right. We were in really what was kind of a fast, high-growth mode as a startup. Within the first week of the shortage, and, you know, rewinding even to studying the marketplace that we had just talked about earlier, I'll never forget reading the news that there was this recall of a huge formula company. And it was in that moment of reading that first news clip, and I thought, there's going to be a crisis. Yeah, You yeah. cannot take one company who produces 50% of the formula in the market offline and just expect that we can all make up the difference. We can't. Right. That's because there are, were only, what, four different production facilities in the U.S. at that time? That's right. Is and that right? two yeah. who dominated close mm -hmm. to 90% of it. It was what I believe is the last remaining duopoly in the space. Absolutely. And so how did you respond as a company? What was your, what was your message to staff and to customers? God, I look back at that moment and I, I'm, I'm so proud of how we've navigated this. And you can take a crisis in so many different directions. Mm -hmm. So within the first week of it, our customer count doubled because people were looking for formula. We had a D to C site. We were accessible. We had product. They came to us. But within that first week, we're looking at our supply and demand and saying, this can't last. We can't produce fast enough to the demand coming in. So I made one of the toughest calls I I would say to date in business, which is let's stop growing while we serve our current customers. Mm -hmm. And we turned off our website and we said, until this crisis is over, our only commitment is to make sure that we have enough supply to serve those who've already put their baby on Bobby, who need the peace of mind that the product that they've started on, they can continue. And yeah, it's challenging because we could have just kept growing. But we stalled. Right. It's that moment of, of knowing when to sort of 
doubt yourself or the ability to produce in the quantities that might be demanded. Yeah. And and yet it's a moment to really reward those customers and say, we're here for you. We got you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, those same customers were turning on the news every day. Yeah. Parents were worried. Oh, yeah. Mothers were waking up wondering, how am I going to feed my baby? And during a time of inflation where they had to spend more on gas, driving state li- over state lines to find baby food. I mean, that is literally insane. Yeah. We should not be here. So I am glad we got to play a role in giving peace of mind to the parents that were on Bobby. And now we are fully back open. Yeah, that's fantastic. When were you able to kind of turn it back on and increase your supplies, kind of ramp up that that supply? So, you know, we were ramping up our supply really weekly. Mm. But there was some, what I believe, beautiful reciprocal behaviors that were happening. So what we had noticed was our customers that were with us were staying longer than they typically had. They were also ordering more. Mm. And the more we've come to speak to a lot of our customers about this, here's the beautiful side of building a community like this. They were trying to get as much product to support their neighbors, their sisters, their cousins, their friends, because they were connected to other parents who really needed formula. And they became the supply chain for many others. That's amazing. And it we throws off your it. whole calculation, it too. Totally, it totally <laughs> did. Our poor growth forecasters yeah. are like, what's going on? I was like, you know what? This is giving back in mm-hmm. it at its best. Mm-hmm. Let it continue. When we come back, I'll talk with Laura about what she built for employees that landed Bobby on Inc.'s Best Workplaces list in 2022. But first, a quick break. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Let's talk about the company that you've built inside. You had at the time when I interviewed you, 50, 51 employees maybe, and yet you had built in this raft of wonderful benefits that really helped your employees um, and catered to them in specific. First, before we talk about the benefits, let's talk about who you employ. Uh, Who are your employees? And tell me about the unique composition of Bobby the company. The team behind Bobby is the secret sauce. And I I mean this wholeheartedly. I've never worked anywhere where I've enjoyed waking up every day working with these humans better than these. They are incredible. And the reason they are is because we have brought on people who are deeply connected to the mission. They are trailblazers. They're investors. They are so behind what we are doing. I can't tell you how many times I pinch myself when I hear someone in the company talk about Bobby like it's their own. Because it is their own, Mm. and they've made it their own. So we say it's our family a lot, and it really is. Now, 90% of them are women. Over 80% are parents. Mm -hmm. The amount of them who've had babies during the pandemic have kids under the age of two. It means that they're also customers. They get it. They, like, truly, truly get it. There's no better dog fooding than this. Right. I mean, they are just in that stage of their lives where this matters. Uh, And also... 
talented. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, mm-hmm. I would be nowhere without these people behind the business, and their talent is out of this world. Great. So let's let's talk about what what people of that general demographic, not not every one of your employees falls into that specific category. But what did you learn as um, the CEO? Like, what did you learn that they needed out of the company? Um, not just in terms of salary or company culture, but in terms of the real benefits. One of my favorites, and this is a lot of the softer ones, mm-hmm. is the ability to tap into the personal just as much as the professional. I'll speak to that a little bit. Yeah, what do you mean by that? I have, I've also never worked in a place where bringing your personal self to work is as strong as it is at Bobby. And if you have something going on in your personal life, it will impact you professionally. I mean, we've all learned this during the pandemic. So every two weeks, we have an all hands that is dedicated. Now we're 80 plus people dedicated to a personal and professional check-in. And that check-in, we do small breakout groups, and it allows people across the business to be able to express how they are truly feeling personally. We hear about problems that they're dealing with at home, a sick kid, they're dealing with all the school applications which can just drown you. And they're the kind of things that make you realize, wow, that person who's showing up professionally, they actually have a lot going on. And you know how to deal with them in that way. So... It is a place where we believe those two are deeply connected. Now, as I also mentioned, one of the biggest benefits is people are having babies. Mm -hmm. And you should be able to grow your family and be able to work at the same time. A program that was recently, we recently announced was Take Our Leave, where we extended the ability for someone to go on leave up to 12 months. Wow. 12 months. Yeah, yeah. And that was up. You had a generous six month policy, I think, before that. Four months. Four months, yeah. Four months, yeah. Yeah. But then they can say at that time, here's what my family actually needs and take longer if they need it. And if they don't, don't. If you don't, exactly. And what we've come to realize is, you know, there's a balance between managing your business and Mm -hmm. then managing what employees want. And you can find a combination of both. As a business, we're able to. Uh, fully compensate the four months. But from a time perspective, which is what a lot of employees want, they want the time, we can compensate with more of the time. Mm -hmm. Since announcing it, yes, we have found that our leave has gone from four months to an average of six. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me as someone who took six months to leave because it was just the right amount of time for me. It was about five and a half or six, you know. Yes. And then I felt comfortable and really eager to get back to work. So, oh. yeah, it, it's that's that really makes sense. And you have a flexible return to work from right. the leave where you help folks kind of get back into the groove. And you have one of the coolest benefits I've ever heard of, which is... I forget the name, but it's a like personal the balance assistant. coordinator yes, for everyone. Yes. Imagine if you had an assistant you could call. When you just couldn't get something done in your personal life, your dry cleaning, your kid's birthday party planned. How have employees used it? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, a birthday party, kid's birthday party. Really? Yeah. They need a pinata. <laughs> you know, it's like last minute and yeah. you realize. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a kid turns around last second they want a pinata. Where, where the hell are we going to get a pinata? <laughs> Mom's working late. She needs to figure it out. Um, even down to finding childcare. I mean, mm. you remember returning from leave and it's, one, it's anxiety driven. Where am I going to find a nanny? What should a nanny look like? The research that goes into even finding what childcare, what support's going to look like takes 
hours, mm-hmm. hours. So just turning it into a research project, I would say that's been one of the biggest to turn to our balance coordinator saying, I need to find childcare. Yeah, what are the options yes. for daycares in my neighborhood? What are the options for babysitters? Yeah, yeah so interesting. That is fantastic. Um, and so you just mentioned you have more than 80 people now. The company has grown since we last spoke. Are you still entirely virtual at this point? Or are you dipping a toe back into offices? Are you back? Yeah, yeah we need, I mean, I wouldn't call it hybrid. We're definitely yeah. still remote. Yeah. But our offsites have ramped up a lot. People want to see each other in person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're also getting to the end of the year, so we're doing a lot of that planning and brainstorming in person, which has been huge. And it's exciting. We're having our first full company-wide offsite where 80-plus people who've, most of them have never met each other. I haven't, and they're all going to come together. It's going to be amazing. To get back to something that we were just starting to speak about earlier in the podcast, um, you have sort of re-engaged with Washington recently, Mm. um, beginning some advocacy work um, in terms of U.S. nutritional, infant nutrition and U.S. manufacturing capabilities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, you know, it's funny. A lot of people talk about the challenges of disruption, especially when it comes to regulation. And in the last few weeks, I have seen and I've re kind of shifted my mindset on this to be one of gratitude for the opportunity. Mm. I pinch myself daily. Two weeks ago, I'm in D.C. and I am speaking to lawmakers about how to reform this industry that desperately needs changing, more funding, more support. And actually, the tension between being the CEO of a formula company and saying, we also need more competition. Yeah. We need more bobbies in the industry. And I do believe that. I think that when we look back in 10 years, a healthy industry will have more bobbies in it. Right. I mean, you need more competition to avoid the formula shortage in the future, a grand contamination or even an an apparent contamination. You know, it's wild that that happened. Has any change been made by those lawmakers or do you believe any will? I am very hopeful it will. And that responsibility to be part of speaking out loud about what really needs to change. We brought moms to the hill. We had a campaign that was hungry for change and to watch women come forward saying, I want to speak loudly about what needs to change. I am very hopeful, but it's slow. It is slow. That is government for you, right? It's kind of nice being just one step out of it, though. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can do at the state levels? State's always great. I think state levels will be powerful when we decide we want to build manufacturing within certain states. Mm-hmm. And it's not just we, Bobby, but I think anyone out there who decides this is an industry to build, you go to your state officials. There will be subsidies. There will be support. And who knows? Maybe they have a good foundation to be able to begin on. But no, I think at national level, we really do need to see policies get changed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And internally, a little bit of change. You have launched a new R&D arm. Tell me about this. If there's anything the shortage has also shown us is that the investment in innovation and just research overall really needs some backing. So we actually made a commitment. Um, A few weeks ago, we made a commitment that between now and 2030, we will invest $100 into both R&D and manufacturing. Wow. To rebuild the resiliency of this industry. And... It's not just a commitment. Again, it goes back to just that responsibility to be part of innovating in this space. So Bobby Labs is what we call our R&D center, is 
medical experts, scientific experts, and it's investing in research collaboration with universities and then turning that into clinical studies to support new product development. Great. Let me ask you related to that, what do you think of these new startups that are trying to make breast milk out of cells and kind of culture breast milk? <laughs> they're years out, but uh, I've spoken to a couple of founders doing this and uh, they're very passionate about it. They are. And you know what? Hats off to them. I truly, truly mean this. I think when you look at an industry, it could be a very reductionist approach to go, this is the only one way to do it. That is not true. It shouldn't be the case at any. We need people to look at plant-based options, lab-based options. Um, and then one day we'll get to something that we can proudly put on a shelf and say, this is the closest thing we can get to breast milk. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, truly, I think everyone should be trailblazing down their own path. Fantastic. In real boots on the ground news, you launched in Target this year. You're no longer strictly D to C. How has that changed the business? Oh, well, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, go, getting, <laughs> getting into getting into retail is a it's a Herculean job, really. And but I've never been prouder. I mean, to be able to walk down an aisle that has traditionally been quite miserable, really, the formula aisle. To see your product on shelf is such a pinch me moment. And it supports D2C. Like, this is all circular. It's not just another channel. It's a supportive channel for those that maybe are getting a subscription on a monthly basis who can now just pop into Target when they're traveling or they've missed a bundle. It's a great option. Yeah. And was it validation you for the brand and for what you'd built as well? Yeah. Actually, I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way, but it is validation. It really is. I mentioned this on, on another talk, which is just to even have your own close friends and family see this as validation that this is a real business. You know, you don't see D2C numbers. You don't right. see that growth. Right. It's all hidden behind the scenes. So there's something about that physical world, that real world, that even has people around you really get it. Mm -hmm. Now, before we wrap up, tell me if you might have one or two pieces of advice for a founder starting out who has an idea, has a product or a service, and sees a regulatory roadblock, whether it's a real roadblock or whether it's a potential sort of hazard in the future. What's the right mindset to be in? How do you analyze the severity of that potential mm. roadblock? Remember that it is just a roadblock. Roadblocks can be removed. You said something very important there. I think the mind is the most valuable thing you have. Changing your perspective. I mentioned this earlier, which is shift your mindset where disruption challenges become gratitude for the opportunity, truly. And that mindset will take you very, very, very far. Fantastic. Thank you, Laura, so much for being with us today. Lovely to chat with you. After speaking with Laura, what stuck with me was that she came at building her business with such a unique mix of wholesome purpose to make something better to feed her own baby, and a tough-as-nails Silicon Valley view of taking on existing regulations and regulators to solve her problem the way she wanted to. She'd been schooled in the Airbnb mode of doing business, but also built her business her own way, from the ground up to be super inclusive of parents on her staff 
with a variety of benefits and balanced needs. She had to make several tough, tough calls along the way. And by knowing which advice to trust, even when there wasn't a perfect solution, she got Bobby through those crises. And she helped get a lot of parents through the formula shortage along the way. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow wherever you are listening. It'll help make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you can spare a minute, please do leave us a review. You can let us know what you think about our shows by dropping me a note at whatiknowatinc.com. I wrote about Bobby and Laura and her co-founder earlier this year in Inc. Magazine. We'll include the link to its best workplace feature in our show notes so you can find it if you're interested. Our producer, who insists he's never bought anything on the black market, is Joshua Christensen. Our associate producer is Blake Odom, and our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know. Thank you.